Welcome to My Life is a Montage, everybody. My name is Ian Shaker. I'm here, as always, with Keith Campbell. And uh, we've done the switcheroo this week where uh, we're going to talk about one of the points in Keith's montage. And uh, and I'm going to do a little bit of the – I did a little bit of the research, and we uh, it's a good one this week. So what do you have for us, Keith? So the I have for us this week not just a song. I have a whole album. I have the 1996 album Seasick by Imperial Teen. So what was interesting to me about you picking this was uh, I, I will be interested to hear where this fits in your montage because I also have moments where entire albums uh, mean something to me. I remember the first time I listened to Pretty Hate Machine, like the entire album. And I remember mm. that vividly. So I will be uh, very interested to hear where we go with this. Um, but first, you know, I think for a lot of people, uh, Imperial Teen may not be of all the mid nineties indie, indie rock bands of the time. Imperial Teen may not be one of the ones that you just jumps to the tip of your lips. And so, uh, learn a little bit about them and a little bit about the album itself. Um, so Imperial Teen, uh, uh, we're from San Francisco, which is where if you're a faith, no more fan, uh, is where Faith No More uh, was created. And uh, Roddy Bottom uh, from Faith No More uh, helped create this band and Imperial Team with uh, Will Schwartz, who is from a band called Hey Willpower. I didn't really know him. Uh, Lynn Truel, uh, who I did know from uh, her, pre- her previous name or pre-married name uh, from the band The Dicks. And then she was also in a band called The Rex with Joan Stebbins, who I also knew. Uh, and so the four of them came together and created the band uh, Imperial Team. And they were together for about six months, just kind of playing gigs, putting together songs. And uh, they decided it was time to put together an album. And so they spent uh, they spent one week, <laughs> one week putting together an album. Uh, and it was an album that, that really kind of uh, blew a lot of, blew a lot of uh, critics away. It was uh, the year that it came out, which was coincidentally 25 years ago this month. Mm. Uh, it was named uh, Spin Spin Magazine, named it the number four album of the year, and uh, also put Seasick on its list of top 50 albums of all time. Uh, and so it's uh, you know it's definitely it, it definitely was uh, uh, not a you know, it definitely made it made an impression on everyone who heard it. If you were lucky enough to hear it, hmm. and Spin was actually how I came to to know so about the album. I, I've got to ask. Yeah. So. Oh, so, really? Okay. Yeah, I I was one of those kids that would, you know, if I if I went with my family to the grocery store, I would just like, all right, I'm gonna hang out in the magazine aisle for a little bit. <laughs> Come get me yeah. when it's time to go. Um, and I think I ended up picking up the, the issue, like right around when seasick came out and they had like the full, like two page profile on the band mm-hmm. and all that. And I was like, okay, this sounds really interesting. Let me check this out. And, you know, bam, mind blown. It was, <laughs> it got in, it got into my rotation pretty quickly. Yeah. And, uh, I was, as I was doing the, as I was doing the research on this, I would, I was looking at uh, an interview with Joan Stebbins. That, did you know that the band was originally called Star 69? Yes. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> Which, if a great you already, name. 
if you are significantly younger than Keith and me, you might not even know what Star 69 <laughs> is. Uh, it was if someone called you, although it is part of a Friends episode, uh, uh, where if someone if someone called you and you didn't answer, uh, and they didn't leave a message on your answering machine, you could hit star 69 and it would automatically call back the last number that called you. Yeah. Uh, this was before everyone had a caller ID. So, yep. but they got a cease and desist because there already, already was a band that was there. So yeah. Based in um, New York, the, I think the, that did my nothing. Favorite quotes about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite quotes about, uh, about seasick as an album is, and this, I think, will hit a little bit more with uh, 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 some of our audiences. That uh, one of the critics called it the band, uh, the album that uh, the album that should have been the follow up to uh, to um, oh my goodness, I'm I've lost the name uh, to the Breeders album. Uh, okay, <clears throat> Last Flash. Yeah, hold on. Yes, thank you. Oh my God, my brain is. Is not working. I'm even looking at the article that has it, and I'm still not. <laughs> I'm still not. Uh, and you know, I when you brought this up, I went and I listened to the album. I, I listened to the album uh, last night, and yeah. then uh, was listening to it a little bit more today. And yeah, you could definitely hear. I mean, some of it's because uh, one of the big things about Imperial Teen is uh, the male female the male female harmonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, all four members, all four members of the group are doing, uh, are doing multiple, they're doing like kind of a yeoman's duty, doing different instruments, different parts, different, uh, different vocal parts. And so you definitely see it as, uh, it, it, unlike a lot of bands where everyone kind of has their lane. Imperial Teen just seems like four people who got together and wanted to make music and didn't matter who or how or when. Yeah. I mean, Roddy's own exit from Faith No More was kind of tied up with a whole kind of cratering of his mental state. He was really good friends with Courtney Love, who I didn't know until I started like, until I started like looking at some of the articles that have come out in the 25th anniversary kind of a celebration of this album. I didn't know that Courtney Love was also a um, vocalist in Faith No More at some point. Um, So they were friends and he got really- I didn't know that either. Yeah. And so he got really affected by- uh, Kurt Cobain's passing and, you know, the, the resulting, you know, breakdown that Courtney had and kind of, you know, feedback kicked to him. And he ended up like, so like, he was a big contributor to a lot of Faith No More's songwriting up until like the albums, like right around that time. And it's what led to him leaving the band and then the band just kind of falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um so this was kind of a, a good opportunity for him yeah. to clear his head and and you know start a new project that was didn't have the history behind it and was kind of maybe more of a, a supportive place for him to kind of come out of his fog. Yeah, and, and there's a song on uh, <clears throat> there's a song on CSIC called "You're One" mm-hmm. uh, that is that is reportedly about Kurt Cobain mm-hmm. uh, and I. I honestly, that was the first song that I, that was the first song that I remember hearing from them. And I had to have my memory jogged about it uh, when I was, yeah. when I was doing the, uh, so, you know, clearly, uh, Kurt had, had, you know, quite the impact on, on Roddy. Yeah. The, uh, the other interesting thing about the, 
and this isn't specifically about the album, but it's about the band in general is uh, I, and this is part of what I, I, when my memory was jogged about all this that I had to kind of remember is they were an interesting live act because they, they, uh, they would just kind of rotate around the stage. Yeah. And uh, so everyone played drums, everyone played guitar, everyone played, you know, everyone played bass. And it was kind of a, you know, kind of, I can, I can see this band and you can kind of hear it in the, in what comes out of them uh, that they, that they were more of a collaborative, a collaborative Mm -hmm. than, than, you know, kind of, as I said, kind of your standard rock band. Yeah. There are songs that are like really sweetness and light and really, you know, clean and, and then there are some that's just like full driving, like blown out speaker fuzz. And, you know, I think you can kind of mm-hmm. tell what, you know, you can tell from, you know, who's doing, who's doing the vocals, but also from, you know, the general tenor of the song, kind of who the, the main driving force of it was. But, you know, it's, it's always a group effort, even when it's very clearly a Will song or very clearly a Roddy song. Yeah, yeah, and, and it was kind of interesting. As I said, I was listening to the album. Uh, there's a bit of um, that, that what you exactly what you're talking about. You could tell who the song came from. Uh, that was something that you didn't always, even though the tones were different in some of their songs. Hmm. Um, you always knew that. You always knew. Um, I, I was going to bring up the Pixies because yeah. you know not just because of the breeders uh, connection but also because no matter what the song was you always knew that it was you know that it was from the the mind of black francis no matter mm-hmm. what the sound was whereas right. whereas with a band like imperial teen you you definitely get uh it not to put them on the same level but you get kind of that beatles-esque okay this is a paul song this is a john song this mm. is a there is a little bit of that. Uh, there is a little bit of that kind of uh, eclectic feel to uh, to the record, like you were talking about, and that and that was kind of fun. I, I, I this I'm actually glad you brought this one up because I it was a record that, that I probably hadn't I've probably listened to twice or three times, mm. and it was probably 25 years ago when I did it. So I'm I'm glad I I'm glad you brought it up. You know this this one's been so, one that kind of floats uh, so in and out that, of of my listening, and you know it's. I consider it, you know, one of the, my favorite albums of of that time period, you know, and this is the same year that Melancholy came out. And I'm a big Pumpkins fan. Um, so, yeah, this mm-hmm. it's an absolutely perfect album. Unfortunately, um, with record record company shenanigans being what they are, uh, you won't be able to hear it or their second album, What Is Not To Love, which is also fantastic and kind of builds and adds a little bit more gloss to to what was on seasick um you won't be able to find either of those albums on streaming so you know i had to send you a youtube link i have a copy of the cd in my archives um i'm gonna put that same youtube link hopefully you know people don't uh, blow it up and and the record company doesn't take it make sure uh add a a uh, cease and desist to it but uh yeah you know yeah. you'll you'll see in the comments the, the link <clears throat> um the interesting thing one, one last kind of tidbit about the album is uh and, and i wouldn't have i wouldn't have i wouldn't have picked this or picked this out when i first started looking at the uh, looking at where the album came from but uh it was uh produced it was produced by uh steve what's his name 
uh, McDonald of Red Cross, the reggae band. Huh. And uh, yeah, I mean, Red Cross, I saw Red Cross open up for NXS in 1988. Okay. Uh, uh, they were, I mean, they were definitely a just Southern California, punk, you know, Southern California quasi-punk reggae band, uh, mm-hmm. skate band. And so it was really interesting to, to know that, especially knowing that the original choice to produce the album, Kelly Deal. Ah. Uh, and she was not and she was not available to do it. So there we go. Interesting. Everything comes back to the breeders in this episode. <laughs> At some point we'll have to talk about that, I'm sure. Oh yeah. The breeders, the breeders will definitely uh come back in and the the breeders definitely have a place in in by I suspect both of our montages. All right. So so where does Imperial Teen Seasick all 38 minutes of it fit into uh, fit into your montage, Keith. Uh, so I picked this album to talk about now uh, because in about six days, it will be Pride Month. Um, and this was an important album along with another, um, another piece of media, uh, which we'll talk about as well in me throwing off a lot of the bullshit that was ingrained into my head as a kid growing up in the woods of New Jersey um, in kind of a, you know, hyper-masculinized space. Um, So to kind of start the story from the beginning, um, you know, I I will link this back again. Uh, My grandmother makes another appearance in the story, um, this time through her... uh, her penchant for the publisher's clearinghouse. Um, and she had gotten me a, a subscription to Rolling Stone. And I remember the first issue that I got was the issue commemorating the life of Allen Ginsberg. Um, and I was, you know, reading the feature on, on him and all that. And, you know, they had excerpted Howl in America, you know, as you'd expect, and I was like, oh, wow, okay. Um, and at the time, I was a shitty back-of-the-notebook poet. <laughs> so I uh, asked for and received uh, that Christmas a, um, a copy of, and I brought it out. Uh, Alan, oh, Allen yeah. Ginsberg's Selected Poems, 1947 to 1995. Um, <clears throat> and, yeah, I went through the hits for a while and with something like that, it kind of was something like that. And it was something like, you know, some of the albums that I got through Columbia house and all that, it would always take me time to get all the way through it. You know, I'd listen to, you know, the singles or the songs that I knew or the song right after that, you know, I left on by accident and then that became something I would listen to a lot. Um, and it took me a while. And, you know, I remember reading about um, Imperial teen in spin later on down the road. And picked up that out, picked up Seasick. Um, and I remember, you know, as I say, you know, I was one of these dumbass teens that would use uh, gay as a substitute for stupid. Um, you know, would refer to the soccer fags across, across the field during football practice. And, you know, in between hearing, you know, songs like Butch, um, like Imperial Teen, you know, the, the title track and the, or the eponymous track for the band, 
Um, and, you know, you're one, which is about Kurt Cobain, but there's also some, you know, very overt queer imagery in there. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm listening to that and that's breaking it open. And I, I remember, you know, clear as day, you know, I was reading, you know, Ginsburg. Um, and this was after uh, I had gotten the Imperial Teen record and had, you know, some of that seeping into my head. And I remember like, okay, let me page through, let me continue to read. And I read the poem, um, Many Loves, which is about Allen Ginsberg's first encounter with Neil Cassidy. Um, you know, you would know as oh, um, Cody in, um, in On the Road. Um, and yep. it's, that's when it hit me like a fucking thunderbolt. You fucking idiot. This is, mm-hmm. this is about love. It's not about any kind of like anything to be afraid of, anything to be scared of. And so, you know, I credit that and seasick with kind of what broke my brain open and got me to understand things a lot better. That That's awesome. Uh, I had a similar experience uh, the first time I went and uh, I went and saw Erasure in concert. Okay. And uh, this was, I'm going to say 91. Mm-hmm. And it was, and I don't say this as stupid, you know, in the way that we said it as kids, um, it was the gayest experience <laughs> of my life. I mean, it was, I was definitely, I was definitely in the minority as a cis, you know, as a, uh, what today I would call a cis white man, right? you know? And, and so it was, and the beauty of it was exactly the kind of thing that you're talking about, that it was, it was open armed and it was wonderful. And it was, uh, nothing that you know, a closed off Catholic school kid Mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, uh, 75 miles outside LA would have been brought up in, um, even with, you know, fairly liberal parents. And so uh, to hear you talk about that, I I specifically, I I wondered if this was where you were going with it Mm -hmm. um, because, and so that's why I, I kind of specifically left uh, some of the queer imagery and, and the, uh, you know, out of when I was talking about the research and wanted to just talk about, you know, kind of the nuts and bolts of the band. So I'm, I'm, it really, I love hearing that from you. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, a song like Butch is just, you know, I kind think, of lays it I out there. It's, people- it's the, the, the whole like mental picture and, you know, yeah. as somebody who, you know, hadn't, you know, there, there were gay people in my family. There were, I'm sure there were, you know, it wasn't as prevalent for somebody to be out young in 1996 as it is now, 25 mm-hmm. years later. And that's a beautiful thing. Yes. Um, so having very, very limited exposure to that, you know, once I finally, you know, had some reference points, made all the sense in the world to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's awesome. I, I'm, yeah. I, the funny thing is, I think a lot of people, uh, 
you know, you, well, and I did, I didn't say it at the beginning, but the, you know, they're a San Francisco band and you, and, and you also need to remember that this was uh, not just, you talked about this as kind of Roddy bottom, Roddy bottoms kind of uh, finding himself in this journey about himself. But this also was, uh, this also was in kind of the second, you know, the AIDS second wave. Mm-hmm. Um, post Magic Johnson, but before, before it really wasn't like a death sentence, you know, right. it still was, uh, only very few people survived for her, lost Arthur Ashe by then we'd lost, uh, we'd lost a lot of other people. And so, you know, I think that there was a, it was a heady time. And so, you know, I, I think that the fact that that hit you, that hit you like that is, is very, is very cool. And I'm glad it did. Yeah, makes me, too. me like the, makes me like the album even more. <laughs> yeah, I I, I I I weep for people who don't have these moments of kind of uh, uh, these moments of enlightenment that we all have in our lives, you know. And I think a lot of people uh, the last year or few years, you know, hmm. you mentioned the pride begins in a few days and. You know, we also this week are marking one year since George Floyd died. And, yeah. you know, we're dealing with and we're dealing with all the anti-trans laws around the country that are that are moving, you know, that are moving forward. And so I think it's uh, we're we're definitely 25 years have moving forward in many, many ways, but still with uh, miles to go for people like you and me to help be good allies for our. Uh, yeah. Fear, fear is a powerful thing. If you can keep people afraid, you can get them to do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I will lighten the mood here. Yes. With one of the best jokes I've heard in a long time. And I laughed for about three minutes. <laughs> okay. Uh, guy, guy's uh, sitting at the kitchen counter and his, uh, his, his husband comes into the room and says, uh, what are you having? Oh, I'm having a I'm having a sandwich. What'd you make? A BLT. Oh, really? That look that looks really good. Yeah, but you know, I added a little bit of guac on top, so that way it's just a little bit more. So wait, so it's a BLTG, <sighs> and they both look at each other and say, "It's an LGBT." And then one of them says, wait, do we have quinoa? And then, and scene. (laughs) (sighs) Folks, it's a podcast, so you can't see the look on Keith's face, but it is fucking brilliant right now. (laughs) That that, that was too daddy even for me, man. Anyway, this is Imperial Team. They're great. <laughs> this album can only be found on YouTube or if you've got the CD. You know what? I, I want to throw another one in. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I want to, th- I want to, uh, as, a, as an addendum to that, I want to throw in another band that uh, hit me in a similar way, but didn't, but didn't write as well as Imperial Team. Uh, okay. Uh, if you ever get a chance, listen to the first two albums of Sweat. Uh, of suede okay. uh, or as they're known in the u.s london suede um and definitely very uh 
very similar in the messages that they were trying to put out, uh, mm. but very different music. Yeah. Now, Imperial Teen is... I, I consider Seasick like one of the most perfect guitar pop albums made. Um, I was I was discussing it with somebody else. Um, and I think I referred yeah. to it as uh, Sour Bubblegum. I think it's it's apt mm. and it's it's really good, guys. Go listen to it. I'm putting the link in, yeah. the, in the notes uh, so you can see, yeah. so you can all enjoy. Go it. listen now. I, I'm I'm glad you brought it back to my. I'm glad you brought it back to my memory for. A number of reasons. So I will, uh, I will be, let's just say, uh, in air quotes here, obtaining the music and listening <laughs> to it often. Excellent. All right, man. Well, uh, thank you for le- thank you for sharing that moment in your montage. Uh, I think for our next, uh, just a warning, our next uh, our next episode will include discussions in another language. So uh. with yeah, I know. So for Keith, I'm Ian. Uh, thank you for listening. And may all your, what is it again? May all your montages play to sunlight. Thanks, everybody. uh, That's it. (laughs) Thanks a lot, everybody. Thank you for listening to My Life is a Montage. I've been Keith Campbell, joined by Ian Shaker here. Our intro and interstitial music has been Funny Animals by Crow Ender. It was found on freemusicarchive.org and is being used under Creative Commons. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.